We begin with a question. I'm curious. Give me your feedback. What are some of the things as a church we're waiting for? Individually, too. You, us, we, people you know. What are some of the things that are being waited for right now? God's direction for us. God's direction. Okay, just waiting on it. Good. Christ to come. Christ to come. Yes, absolutely. That's the biggie. That drives everything. What else? Occupancy. Occupancy. A sense of theme here. But our whole lives aren't the center. I'm trying to keep that balance. The center is not my whole life either. It's a big part of it right now, and rightfully so. But uh, lots of other things going on. What are you waiting for in families or whatever? Waiting to get my health back. Waiting to get healing. Get that health back. Yes. Yep. Yeah. We're waiting on it. What else? Waiting for people to know and accept. All right. Seems like a long wait sometimes. What else? What are we waiting for? Maddie's not waiting anymore, right? There's some fulfillments that happen along the way. She got what she was waiting for and working so hard for. There was a wedding for some Abels. That was a lot of waiting leading up to it, but then it's fulfilled. It's celebrated, right? It's no longer a time of waiting. It's, it's just celebration. There's a wedding uh, this evening, and um, that's Stephen Smith and Bree. What's Bree's last name again? I'm just trying to blank. What? Cody. Cody. Thank you. Um, so they're in their time of waiting, but they're in their last several hours of waiting now. And then this evening, it'll be a celebration. Um, we do. We wait for healings. We wait for new jobs. We're in a job we don't like. It's miserable, we just kind of put up with it, but we're waiting. Um, what else do we wait for? Summer. Summer, yes, we wait through the winter, yeah. Some of us are waiting to move, some of us are waiting to graduate. Right? There's all these seasons of waiting. Um, but waiting can be really hard. So if I were to ask us the question, how well are we waiting? How do you think we'd respond? It doesn't have to be just like, oh, I'm terrible. Or like, are we doing okay? Are we not doing okay? How well do we wait when we're not getting what we want? I just think of myself when I order something and I want it to be delivered. Yeah. I'm constantly checking on it. Yeah. Why is it not here when it's supposed to be? Yep. Yep. check in rather than. Right. Sometimes we get preoccupied. And that's the only thing we think about while we're waiting, and the rest of life just kind of takes a back burner because we're hyper-focused on this one thing. Yeah? I think we're all waiting for um, God to take us from the trial instead of mm. waiting and watching him work in the trial. Mm -hmm. Don't pay attention to what he's doing inside the trial. We wait for yeah. yeah, most of our prayers in the trial are for the end of it. Right, we could, we could broaden that perspective. So that's not wrong, but it's like limited, right? It's like one piece. Yes, but what about these other things that are happening? Dad, did I see your hand? I'm praying and waiting for God's plan, Stephen, to have enough money to go full-time with a mission agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, waiting for ministry, waiting for calling, waiting for opportunities that way. We've been focusing on the, the quote, um, the Christian way has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. And so this week I just kept inserting waiting in there. Godly waiting has not been tried and found lacking. It's been found difficult and it's been left untried. We don't try it often. We struggle through it. We get impatient. We give in to our own way of handling things. What's, what's a godly way of going through waiting? What, what does it look like? Do we look like Christ as he waited in all of his waitings? Um, 
I think we could learn a lot about waiting and it would make us mature. It would make us fertile soil for the things that God wants to grow in us. Uh, it's not just something to be endured. It's something that actually is precious. And the scripture we're going to look at in a little while uses that word, the precious fruit of waiting. Sally, I saw your hand then. Larry, what are you thinking? A little bit of transparency here. Yeah, um, sure. Just um, at a time in my life when I was waiting for God to move, I literally despaired. And that's when he showed up, when I finally bent my stiff neck and mm. dropped my pride. Yeah. He was there. Yeah. I've noticed for myself in observing people and have people share some of their stories, we can pray together or to look at what the scriptures might say. I found it's often the case that when someone finally gives up, then the answer and the solution is like right around the corner. It's in that wrestling match time in the middle that just goes forever. When you like let go of the tug of rope war and just let God win, and he's like ready to do something, but there is that whole middle ground and that's sanctification. He is speaking to us. Right. 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 It's, it's important. Waiting is valuable. It's important. It's, it's meaningful. Larry, what were you going to add? Uh, waiting with confidence in, in expectation. Yeah. That's a different sort of waiting. It takes a long while. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, but some, most of the time it does. Mm-hmm. Or we find that we do really well waiting for one thing and then a different era of our life, we're like terrible at waiting for that. Like, but I'm so good at waiting for this. Why doesn't that just automatically apply to everything I need to wait for? It's not a broad brush. I would like to suggest, and this is kind of my core thought for today, that our day-to-day waitings should reflect our waiting for the Lord's return. They should be a reflection of our long-term eternal waiting. Because that's our big prize. That's our big wait. And it could happen tomorrow. Or it could happen 10 bazillion years from now. The Lord knows. The Lord said, actually, he's the only one that knows. So anybody who tells you they know, they don't know. But he does. Um, but we're supposed to have this long-term expectancy where at any moment God could just show up and that could be the end of all this pain. It could be the end of all this misery. Judgment day, done. Period. And so we're supposed to be like priming ourselves for that long-awaited day. That's a, that's a waiting. That's a big one. But we have smaller waitings along the way. Packages to be delivered, jobs, uh, degrees to get, uh, graduations to achieve, marriages, all these things. And I would like to challenge us to practice our waiting for the Lord in the small waitings. Make them an honor to Him. Show Him how much you love Him in the big wait for the day by how you do the waiting in the day-to-day. Can you translate these little waitings as, I'm going to wait for this in the same way as I'm waiting for the Lord? I think there's something to be gained there, and that's what I want us to consider. I think that a godly waiting treats all of our small waitings with the same sort of intentionality and expectancy of God to do something good, and it's going to happen, and I'm going to honor you. We show love to the Lord in the small waitings. And I think He loves that. And it's a sign that we are His. We're willing to do the long as well as the small waitings. So our day-to-day waiting should reflect our eternal waiting. And that's what we're going to discuss. I'd like to say a prayer to start us off on that track. And then we'll open the Bible and see if we can glean some wisdom on what this looks like. Let's pray. Jesus, we 
want you more than we want these other things that we're waiting for. And I'll even pray for myself and for us that we would want to want you more than we want these other smaller things that we're waiting for. You've given us such precious small gifts along the way. Uh, jobs and, and health and healings and careers and marriages and those all seem big in the moment but in eternal perspective they are the small waitings. So I pray that you would help us to love you more as our eternal reward than those temporary small rewards along the way. And I pray that you'd help us to honor you in our, our, our eternal waiting for the day of the Lord, your day, Jesus, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Uh, help us to approach waiting for um, deliveries and waiting for diplomas uh, with that sort of holy expectancy uh, that we might honor you in the little things and then be blessed by you with the big things uh, down the road in your timing, in your way. So please work on us this morning, Father, that our waitings might not just be uh, moments of disappointment where we fail you or, or feel like we're letting you down and how we wait or our impatience gets the best of us. May we instead use those as spiritual disciplines, as practices, as opportunities for worship, as moments to honor you, to show our love, our dedication to you, uh, which just needs to be so far beyond all of these um, life-related things, these moments and milestones. Um, help us to love you more than anything else, Jesus. Uh, please bring us closer to you as we think about these things this morning and, and speak through your spirit. Whatever you want each person in this room, myself included, to hear, uh, let us hear it so that we can know that we met with you and that you spoke to us and make us even more eager to see you face to face one day. We pray it in your name. Amen. All right, so the first is kind of a disclaimer, first point to make. Uh, waiting is not the same thing as avoiding. So for all of you, it's like, awesome, he's saying I can wait on that thing. And all you really want to do is procrastinate because you don't want to do it, but you know what God wants you to do. This sermon is not for that situation. Do not misquote me or scripture and be like, David said it's okay to wait. If you know what you need to do, do it today. That's it. What we're waiting on are the things that only God can do. That's the distinction. So as soon as you and I know what we're, what we're supposed to do, we have to do it. Delaying is not the right option. Delaying is sin because we're saying, I know, God, what you want me to do, and I will not do it now. I will pick my own time when I'm good and ready. So just be careful how you hear what I'm saying. We might say waiting is good. We're just going to take our time to make this decision when in the back of your mind. You're like, I know what needs to be done. Just do it. And have faith that God will honor that. If he's leading you to act in a certain way, it could be a comfort zone thing. I mean, we just need to step out. It could be a sin issue. We're just not confessing. It could be a, um, a proximity or a relationship thing. There are people in your lives that are just pulling you down. You're like, well, how do I change that or pull them, raise them up or separate myself? It could be all sorts of circumstances. But uh, once you have clarity on what we're supposed to do, waiting is not what the Bible says to do. But this is not that sermon. This is not that talk. Uh, we're waiting on things from God all the time. There's so many things out of our control. And um, for people that are waiting for spouses, for example, it's just out of your control to such a large extent. How will I meet this person? How will we connect? Will it work out? Will it be a good, healthy marriage? Your marriage is on my mind. We have a wedding later on today. Um, but how does that change how we think and feel? Well, it can make us impatient. 
It can make us want to take matters into our own hands. It can make us want to take shortcuts, <laughs> side routes, detours. You know, God's sending up the street signs and they're blinking. We're just kind of like hunkering down and driving through, trying to ignore all the signs that he's throwing our way. Um, we're waiting on God for so many things, but the things that he's telling us to do, do not delay. We do not have the permission from God to do that. But for the things that we're waiting on the Lord for, we're going to read from James chapter 5. So if you want to look it up on your phone, or there's some Bibles, I believe, under the seats. Still, I don't actually ever know these days where anything is. So once upon a time, there were Bibles under the seats. Maybe they've been cleaned out and they're in a box somewhere. Maybe they're there. I don't know. Maybe you brought your Bible. But um, find some scripture somewhere or look on with a friend. Or just simply listen as I read James 5, 7 through 11. Uh, we're going to see that the way the Bible thinks, the way God thinks, the way Christians are supposed to think about waiting is that it's a season of development. Waiting is not just a pause, a stall tactic from God, a, a, an unanswered prayer. It's really not that at all. It's a season of development. We are developing in ways as we wait and things around us, the situation is developing so that when the situation gets to a point and we get to a point and God gets to a point and things converge, that things will have been prepared. We will have been prepared. God's perfect timing will kind of be revealed at that moment. So it's a season of preparation. We're going to see this in the book of James. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this and was one of the early leaders in the early church. And he compares the patience of a farmer. Does anybody here grow up on a farm or have family members who are farmers? I think there are a few. My grandfather was a farmer and then he ran away from the farm to go into the merchant marines and get as far away from the farm. He couldn't stand it. But I've known farmers in my life. And um, they're sort of a different breed. A farmer is a different sort of patience. Farmers are patient in the way like tectonic plates move. Not in the way Americans really are. Like a farmer is a steady person. A farmer doesn't feel trapped in his home. He feels like rooted in his land. It's where he belongs. He's, it's just every day. From before the sun go, comes up to after it goes, it's just where you belong. And this is like a a steadiness to farmers, then most of us don't have that experience. We're in the fast-paced you know, technology age and things are popping up all the time. That's not how a farmer perceives things. That's not how God perceives things. So in a way, anybody who's had that farming experience has a little bit more perspective of the way God thinks of things. A farmer can look out and see dirt, but know that there are roots forming and know that there are going to be buds coming up soon and stalks for that corn. They're coming, but you see nothing. He's not worried by that. He knows what it takes. Um, I think we as Christians could do well in our waitings to think of it in this farming metaphor, which is why I'm having us read this passage, this wisdom from the Bible. Um, this is countercultural. This is not how our American world thinks, but this is how we as Christians are supposed to learn to think. So let's read it together. James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Right? There's our second coming. This is actually a big context he starts with. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Now observe how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. I have to stop there because that's the phrase that I can't stop thinking about this week. In all of your waitings, you're waiting for the precious fruit from God. That's what you're waiting for. 
a precious answer, a precious solution, a precious intervention, a precious healing, a precious deliverance. It's precious, it's valuable, it's costly, it's, it matters, it's important. This is not how we feel when we're waiting though. So that's why we need to read this. When you're in the next season of waiting, come back here. Remind yourself, there's something precious that's happening in this moment, even though it hasn't fully grown yet. No fruit yet. All right, so observe how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Strengthen, establish, kind of firm up your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is what God wants to say to us this morning. As we read it together, are there other translations that bring out different words? Or are there certain thoughts that jumped off the page to you? What do you, what do you see as we dig in that before we go any further? What do you see? What is God saying to you this morning? Have the patience of Job. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I mean, he was just a guy. He's actually an encouraging person to me because he wasn't just cheerful the whole time. So the patience of Job doesn't mean we just like have a smile on and are fine with it. He was not fine with it, but he was steadfast, right? So there's a little bit of hope in how he did it. He wasn't perfect in it, but he's an example. So we don't have to be perfect in it either, but we do have to endure patience of Job. Nobody wants it, but God wants to see it grow in each of us. Anything else stand out, Michelle? I think it's an interesting correlation um, in, I guess, what verse 11 saying that we call people blessed or happy. My transition was spiritually prosperous, favored by God. Um, those, that's the description of people who are steadfast and endure difficult circumstances. So mm. like, when you think of patience being translated as long-suffering, mm-hmm. I think that's like a, just a more accurate way to think of being patient because it doesn't mean that you feel fine. It means that you're suffering yeah. while you're waiting. That feels accurate to me. Because I'm probably not very patient. No comment. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're very patient. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. When I read the word steadfast, how to walk through with cancer, I know I kept saying uh, from the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Yep. That's what steadfast. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And you had moments like Job where you were sad and grieved and afraid and 
upset and all those emotions, we feel them, but we would still consider Nancy Lou Stratton to be blessed, right? Because she persevered under that trial. So we would call you blessed. Blessed by God, but also handling in a blessed way. But none of us were expecting you to be perfect through that. And none of us would hope that you would just have a smile on through a real person, like a, a real Job sort of person. And we do experience those things. Um, but yeah, you've been blessed. And we want to be blessed, right? We consider blessed those people who are just steadfast. Steadfast. Maybe one or two more? I would just say, like, at the beginning verses, um, it reminds me there's a book that somebody gave me probably about five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's called, like, Waiting for Spring or something. But, it, you know, it talks, you know, about the Bible and a lot about seasons. And, mm. um, you know, I just, I, and I remember this particular verse in this book, um, mm. just like, just the valuable crop part, but also like patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And I think since I've read that book, mm. my life has had a lot of seasons. But I just, I always remember that A, there's never been a promise that my life is gonna be full of summers. Like that's definitely not what the Bible tells mm. us. But also I think as I've grown in my faith, I've learned that to really like what Bob was saying, or like really hunker down when you are in a winter, because the only way you like grow and learn, unfortunately, I feel like is through a lot of like those summer, <laughs> like those winter trials right. to get to the spring or whatever. So right. if you can really just like live in that moment and realize no matter how hard it doesn't mean you're not going to call your sister and complain or whatever, right. Right. but you know that that really there's a reason for it and you can almost always look back and see why. I think same way I'd say about my mom, we'd say about you, like we would consider you blessed, your family blessed because you've been steadfast through all those ups and downs. So any one of those downs could have been an exit ramp for you. That's it, too hard, but it hasn't been. They've been detours, they've been like stop signs, but you just there's a steadfastness, so you are blessed, you have been blessed. And that's what it means to be considered blessed, you know? We sort of, and I don't know if this is, this is a judgment of its own source, so I don't think it's good or right, but we sort of look down on people who have it too easy. They get, they're spoiled, they come from maybe money, they had all the advantages, like it just seems like, but someone who really paid the price, who walked the walk, who fought for it, steadfast, they gain a lot of respect, even from non-believers. That's kind of the American dream, right? Like, pull yourself up from the gutter and make something of yourself. Self-made man, self-made woman. So we know there's no such thing as self-made. God makes people. Um, but there is something to be said for being the people that are still standing after they've been bombarded by life and still have hope and still have joy. It is a blessed thing. It is a happy thing. It's, it's a weird thing. It's a mixture of happy and not. Jeff, you want to give us our, our last thought before we move forward? Okay. Yeah. And then what's I got here with me is you know, the farmer is patient about it until it receives the early and the late. Right. So like just like not jumping at the first side of, you know, lenses too. It's like there's a little bit there's a little bit of rain. Where's yeah. my crop? It's like, no, let's wait. Yeah. Keep being patient and then when the late rain comes too. Yeah, that stood out to me as well. It's not just, okay, here's your blessing. It's like, wait for it. They need more. 
God's going to continue to provide as you go. You need late rains too. This is this one. Yeah, Jamie. I just think there's a freedom in that patience isn't toxic positivity. Mm. Right. And when you were just speaking about Job, that yeah. he was miserable in many ways also. I'm sure. There's, there's a realness to it. Yeah. yeah. We need to speak that gospel to the world so that we don't have to keep on a fake mask to everybody and so that everybody doesn't think that we're just inauthentic frauds. It's very important to love God and also suffer because it's when people see that. It's, it's easy for people like, oh, you've got it all going. Everything's great. Of course you love God, or everything's bad, like God doesn't love you, there is no God, fine. It's the people that are like, everything might be bad, but God's good. That's the testimony. That's grace. That's the gospel. We need to speak those moments the way Jamie is saying, exactly like that way. It has to be real. So where I'm going to jump in here is kind of verse by verse picking out some things. We're just going to go through this a few times, and if we have time, there's a couple of other scriptures we could use to to dig even deeper. We'll see how far we can get. But did you notice that the very first thing, before this, if you look back in the passage, he's talking about people who are being oppressed by the rich people around them. So there's kind of a context of like, hang in there when the people around you aren't treating you well. It's sort of like an oppression sort of context. But therefore, have patience. But when he says have patience, he doesn't say have patience because your oppressors will be delivered. or what. Have patience because Jesus is coming. So he immediately puts the small waiting in the context of the big waiting to teach us how to do the small waitings well. I love that. That is how we should approach each of our small waitings. Um, I thought of an example. Uh, If we can't wait for God to bring us a husband or a wife, a godly husband or a wife, but we take every shortcut and run into every relationship, whether it's God-honoring or not, we take all these detours how are we going to tell God, well, I can definitely wait for you to come my entire life. I mean, I can't even wait a few years or a few months right now for you to bring me what you're bringing me. But, oh, I can definitely wait for my entire life to see you in glory. I'll be faithful for that whole time. How, how can we say that we'll be faithful for the whole thing when we can't do the small waiting? It needs to be a reflection of, I'm willing to wait for that spouse and keep myself sexually pure and honor God in how I date and how I court and how we engage and marry. Like these things should be reflections because they're waitings and we want them and they're good. And we also want Jesus to come and that's so good. But it's sort of easy to make this sort of like a long term, oh, I'm waiting for that. But we show no patience. We show no God honoring behavior in our smaller weddings. They're too important. It's too hard. Can't do it. Does that give us hope for our long-term faith in Christ? It's, it's, it's definitely a conflict. It doesn't have to mean one can and one can't happen, but it, those things are in conflict. Um, how about the job situation? You're in a bad job. You're being treated poorly or you're, you're not paid fairly. There's some sort of negative thing. So you're waiting for that next job. Maybe at home you're even applying for jobs all the time. Well, how do you act in the current job? Are you the disgruntled employee? Don't really get there on time any day because you don't want to be there. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. When you get there, you don't have a smile for anybody. You don't work hard. You cut corners, take long breaks because you don't want to be there. Well, if we can't be patient for God to give us the next thing and live in a God-honoring way in a job scenario, how are we going to wait for Christ for our entire life, for the eternal reward that he's offering us? 
Like how we live in the small waitings matters and it has to reflect the long-term waitings. You know, if we can't wait to do the right thing, but we're cutting corners, we're manipulating situations, trying to make things happen faster, is that going to be how our faith is? Jesus, you haven't answered my prayer. Where are you? Where is God? No, we actually learn how to have a waiting for the coming of the Lord, which is where James starts, by how we wait for small things like a farmer. And the crop has to happen again every year for the farmer. It's not just one crop and then you're done. Start it, finish, harvest, start again. And that's the seasons. Kind of Nicole was referring to that. All of our seasons of waiting need to reflect waiting for the Lord. Jeff pointed out the early and late rains. That's in verse 7 as well. God gives us sometimes like an initial boost and then we wait. And like, are the rains ever going to come again? He gave me this blessing, but it's not coming again. All I have is this memory of a few years ago, this special moment I had with the Lord, but I'm in a dry spell. It's a drought. Will the late rains come? I need the late rains if I'm going to get where God says we're going to go, but I can't get there on my other The patience of a farmer. We wait on the Lord for the early rains and the late rains. We need them both. God doesn't just give us our whole life like a map. Here's how it's going to go. This is it. And so once and done, all questions answered. It's waiting again and again. And we're going to have to wait again tomorrow. I'm going to have to wait again next year. I'm going to have to wait again next decade. This is how it works. So let's do it in a way that honors the Lord. God provides initially, but he also sustains. Those late rains are beautiful, especially after waiting for them for a long time. Do we see the things we're waiting for as a precious harvest that needs time to grow? There's an interesting quote here. It's specifically about ministry. But the way I view ministry is that every Christian is called to minister. So you're given different gifts. And sometimes it's within a a formal kind of Christian structure, like a Christian school or a church or something like that. Um, But most often that's not the case. That's the minority of Christians that are called to those roles. Most of us are called to just be out in the world using your gifts to share the gospel of God's love to a lost world. That's our mission, right? So this quote on ministry just kind of struck me. I'd like us each to identify with this. Uh, And if you don't know what your ministry is in the world, that's a great place to start. You know, what's your mission? What's your purpose? What's God calling you to? Uh, That's something that at New Hope here, we care a lot about that question and would love to help you kind of investigate that more. But here's the quote. John MacArthur wrote, Many preachers want a ministry free of difficulties. However, I believe faithfulness to God's word and the endurance of trials are the marks of an effective ministry. A preacher has the choice of either enduring or compromising in a difficult situation. There is no such thing as a faithful ministry that is not costly. A painless ministry is a shallow and fruitless ministry. So what do we want? Do we want easy road or do we want great results at the end of a long road? Um, if we follow Christ's example, we know what he waited for and how hard his walk was, uh, but what the rewards were at the end of it. All right, let's keep continuing through. Um, James refers to the prophets, refers to Job as examples of suffering and patience. Um, I want to read just a little bit. I don't want you to turn there, but I'd like you to listen to just the very end of the story of the prophet Jonah. Because when we read James here, this kind of gets, we've been 
tying into this and many of our comments, and I like that we're observing that, um, <clears throat> an example of suffering and patience doesn't mean someone who's doing it perfectly. That's not the example we often have of the prophets. A lot of times they complain. A lot of times they're bitter. God, I wish I would die. I hope you all follow Elijah's example. I hope you go home and say, dear God, it would be better if I died. No, look, what kind of example is that? That's not their example. The example is not perfection, and neither was Jesus' disciples. So when we read all the example of suffering as if there's this some perfect model. No, it's steadfastness. It's waiting for the precious harvest. So I'd like to read a little bit of the end of Jonah. It's just a few verses. He fails in the perfect version of it. But God reminds him what it means. And so this is, I think, part of what James is thinking of when he thinks back to the prophets who are our examples. So Jonah in chapter 4, verse 5, it says he goes out of the city. So he's just fulfilled God's will. He's preached to Nineveh. And he sat to the east of the city and he made a small tent for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade <clears throat> till he should see what would become of the city of Nineveh. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for a plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, well, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. This is actually the same word as the struggle of the farmer. This is the parallel. You did not labor. The farmer waits and labors. You did not make this plant grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? You see, Jonah was asked to wait. He did not wait well. But in that time of waiting, God had a purpose. Our times of waiting are these developing seasons. Waiting is development by God. And so what is God working on in Jonah? He's confronting him. You cannot just be here for my miracles. You have to be here for the slow times as well. The times of uncertainty, the times of waiting. And I don't just only love you, Jonah. Don't just only love you. God loves all these, you know, 120,000, millions, thousands of, hundreds of thousands of people that are right around us at this very moment in their homes, in their cars. He has pity and compassion on them. His purpose is greater than just our little garden. And so Jonah needed to be kind of like rebuked by the Lord. Jonah grumbled. And isn't that what James says not to do? Don't grumble because the judge is standing there watching you. So that's what happened to Jonah. He grumbled and the judge showed up and judged him. God judged him. That is not right, Jonah. This is not how we wait for the deliverance of the Lord. We endure and we have hope. If Jonah were to live his whole life waiting for the second coming of Jesus in, Jesus in this way, what kind of prophet or example would he be? If we live our whole life complaining and bitter about the things that we don't have and the things that we want and the things that we need and why God isn't stepping in and why we can't make it and why it's not fair and why we can't do it and why we're too weak, what kind of example is that? How can we wait for Jesus in that mindset, in that heart space? It's not who we're called to be. So God rebukes him. God judges him. And that's exactly what James says. Do not grumble 
because that's the most common response to not getting what we want when we want it. We just complain. <laughs> Good news, we're allowed to look at Jonah as an example of what to do, of what not to do, and to be reminded who we're supposed to be. All of our smaller waitings should reflect the larger waiting. There's a, a very important point that this brings us to. Um, we can either look at our seasons of waiting as a time of God preparing things for us, or we can see it as a time of God denying us, refusing us, rejecting us. Right? We need this certain outcome, so we pray, and it doesn't happen. How we interpret that non-answer is very important. It says a lot about your view of God, who you believe Him to be, what kind of God you serve. Because if we believe that Him not answering things is Him denying us, or Him accusing us, or Him punishing us for something, or Him blaming us, well, then that's our view of God. Then we're living our faith with a view of God that I don't have what I think I should have or what you've promised me, legitimately promised me, because you don't love me enough and because you're against me. Ah, that puts it into contrast, right? The opposite is I don't have what you've promised me or what I think is coming because I'm not ready for it yet or you're not ready for it to happen yet or someone else isn't ready for it to happen yet. <clears throat> and so we will grow to the precious harvest. We'll get there. And so that whole season of waiting is just believing that even though I can't see things, there must be things happening beneath the surface. And isn't this true? Don't we look back after five-year chunks of time or ten and just see that God was doing things, but we couldn't see it because we were too close to it in the moment? Isn't this true? Haven't you felt this? I feel this. It's too small of a change in the moment. But you look back and over a year or a longer time, it just is glaring. The former you and the current you, they're just not the same person. But day to day, you don't see that. So our waiting is supposed to be believing that, even though we don't see that. Because it is what's happening. And it will influence our belief of who we think God is. This is critical. We're going to show up on Judgment Day and be like, God, how dare you never be there for me when I needed you most? That's what it is. It's an accusation. We're grumbling against God. Or, God, here at the end of a life, I see how you worked all things together for good according to those who are called to your purposes. Your purposes. Wow. I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted in that moment. It wouldn't have been good for me. Look what more happened through the waiting. You were working. The judge will know that heart. He will see that heart when we stand before him. So we need to make sure that we're evaluating our heart day by day. Lord, I, I trust you in the waiting. Not just in the rewards. I love how James ends here. He says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. This is kind of his big plan. You've seen the purpose. And what are the two things that he identifies God as being? Do you have it in front of you? James 5.11 says the Lord is compassionate and he's merciful. His purposes embody compassion. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to be saved. So there's compassion on us, just like Jesus looked out and saw lost sheep. And he's merciful. Despite our sins, he gave his son. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, second coming, heaven, the, the big wait, the day 
the day of the Lord. All right? So that's God's nature. Those are his purposes. And when we say your purpose in this must be to thwart me, to deny me, to just teach me patience, as if him denying us is a punishment. The purposes of the Lord are, are beautiful. I'd like to close with flipping over to Hebrews chapter 10. This is kind of the, <clears throat> oh, I don't know how to say it exactly. Um, the anthem, the Christian anthem that we can end on. The encouraging word, the reminder of who we are. Um, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So we who we are in our identity are people that will be renewed because we are the people of the Lord. We are God's children. We wait on Him. He strengthens us. It's Him, not us. That's the grace piece. Um, But it's also a promise. We will be the ones who wait. And so here, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 32 to 39, right in that section, he stops and takes a moment to think about our confidence. And this sometimes takes a big hit in our waiting. Are we really sure that God is going to be there for us? Our confidence takes a hit. And and that can undermine our faith. And I think faith and confidence are related, but not exactly the same thing. It's just sort of the... The questioning, are you there, God? Will it work? Will you step in? Then it can undermine our faith. So if Hebrews can give us an encouragement to build our faith and strengthen our faith, I'd love that to be the last word that we say on this as we head out to a week of practicing godly waiting together. So let me just read it for us. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Recall the former days. Think back. Think back, church. When you were first enlightened, when you first met God, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and to affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one, an eternal one, abiding possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great, we could say precious, right, from the book of James, a great and precious reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Do the will of God, honor God, so that we will receive what is promised. For, and here's a quotation that the author inserts, for yet just a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. That's Jesus' second coming. That's judgment day. That's the day of the Lord. Um, Yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, that's us. We're called righteous because of Christ. My righteous one shall live by faith. Now, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is like God speaking. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Like, that's who we are. 
That's why we will be called blessed. That's why we will see it through. That's why we'll make it to the late rains and the late rains will get us to the precious harvest because we're not the ones who shrink back. We may get knocked down. We may be like Jonah. We may not wait well. We may grumble. But then we wait upon the Lord. Remember that every single small waiting needs to be a reflection of our eternal waiting. And if we can't wait in the small thing, how are we going to wait for the big things? So let's take our eternal hope and put it into these little, little situations like traffic on the way to work. Like money that's supposed to come and there's a bill that's waiting, but the check isn't arriving. We're going crazy because if this money doesn't come, that money doesn't go. So many things you wait for. Can you wait for a check like you're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's going to be beautiful and it's going to deliver me. (laughs) And it's going to happen. And I'm not going to throw away that confidence. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to curl in on myself in fear. What if God isn't God? God is God and he loves us and we're his people. So we need to be like farmers and have a much longer view. And in this waiting, it isn't just God saying, too bad, tough luck, kid, suck it up. He's working on you. And he's working on things. Just the same way that he's working all people and all creation towards the final culminating last days. So have endurance. Have confidence. And this week, if you can think of something that you're waiting for, And ask yourself, you know, maybe go home tomorrow morning, wake up on Monday, how are we going to apply this godly way of waiting to this situation? How can I show love to Jesus through this maybe very, very small thing? Or maybe it feels big in the moment, but put it in perspective. It is one of the small waitings, no matter how big it feels. In this life, all of our waitings are the small waitings, and there's one big one, and we can certainly wait for the small stuff as we are anticipating the big things to come. Let's say a prayer and then we'll move to communion. Music team, would you come forward, please? Dear Jesus, I pray that you would infuse us with your righteousness so that we could actually be called righteous. Please forgive us for our sins through your shed blood on the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb and the promise of our resurrection. May we live as resurrection people, as hopeful people. May this Easter season be one where we have confidence, even more so than any other time in the year, because we're so freshly reminded and so freshly experienced the rejoicing and the celebrating over your victory. Jesus, please conform us to your likeness. Make us wait more and more the way you do, the way you would. Please give us your spirit, uh, whose fruit is, among other things, patience, We have this from you. I pray that you'd help us to exercise it. Please help us to know what things need to be done that are our doings and help us to be quick about it. And help us to be patient with the things that are of the Father, things that are out of our control, the things that we will wait upon. And we will wait well. And Jesus, you will help us to wait well. We are not of those who shrink back. So I thank you, Jesus, for being the ultimate example, but also for doing these things for us. We put our trust in you and know that you will help us become like this. And that's such an exciting thing. Look forward to becoming more like this, more like you. As we wait for the precious, precious fruit of the earth, the precious fruit of our prayers, the precious fruit of our tears, of our struggles. You are good, God. We credit you with being good. And you will work all things together for the good 
of those who are called. So please call each of us this morning into your presence, into your purposes. And we trust you with all the outcomes. We pray it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.